Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. Today's episode is sponsored by Blue Apron. I'm kidding. Can you imagine if we had to do that every time? But guess what? Here's some good news. We just launched a Patreon, so we wouldn't have to do that. So we don't have to, you know, do the Squarespace thing or the um, the MeUndies or uh, what are the other ones? Uh, the the um, HelloFresh, you know. Can you imagine that? That would just feel so weird. But how exciting is it? And first of all, thank you to all of our uh, patrons who've gone to patreon.com slash other record labels and have supported the podcast. It's so exciting. I'm, I'm so grateful. So please um, think about doing that. And um, at the end of this episode, we have some bonus content that is exclusive for our patrons. And that's going to happen every single week where we do something special with the guest. And that's just an exclusive extended interview, um, as well as a ton of other perks that you can find out at patreon.com slash other record labels. We also have a, a, a place on our website too, otherrecordlabels.com slash Patreon. So just the opposite. But anyhow, uh, at the end of this interview, um, which by the way, I'm excited for you to hear this. There's some real eye-opening stuff as we chat with Josh from Refresh Records. Uh, I know a lot of people in our community know this label and love this label. And so I'm excited for you to hear it. Uh, at the end of the episode, we um, and this is new for just for our patrons, we're starting, as well as asking a couple extra questions, we're going to play a game with our guests. And this has gone so well. We're having so much fun. Do you remember the... Um the now that's what I call music compilations. I mean, they're still in existence today. In fact, there's 110 of them. And so the game is that I pick a song and I, I tell the the guest the name of the song and the artist, and they have to tell me what number now compilation that came off of. And so they basically are guessing between uh, one and uh, I think about 109 or 110. Uh, and these, this has been going so well. And, and it's exciting because if they guess correctly, which I don't think they ever will, but if they guess correctly, then I'll, uh, other record labels will donate $100 to their um, their charity of choice, and so uh, very. It's it's a, it's gone really well, and I'll tell you the couple times that I've played it leading up to this so far with our guests and pre-recorded guests, um, people have come remarkably close, uh, too close for my comfort. Um, so stick around at the end of the episode, or or you have to join our Patreon enable to in order to hear it. It's not at the end of this episode; it's in the exclusive feed just for our patrons. So go to Patreon.com/slash/OtherRecordLabels. Thank. Thank you for being a listener and enjoy this. We, when we were talking about finances, this just popped in my head when I was kind of going through your label and doing some research. I remember we were talking about finances in our recently in our Facebook group, and you mentioned that mm-hmm. you put 100% back into the label, and that's probably amounted to quite a lot over the years. And, and sorry if this wasn't supposed to be public knowledge, but I think that's really cool. Like, what's your, your thought process on that? <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, all right, so this label is started as a passion project for me. It's always been, like, the side business. Um, I do still work full-time, mm. and that covers my my needs and my, you know, finances and all that stuff. So the label was always supposed to be just about supporting the music I love and everything, and so it was a big part of, I'd rather grow the label and do more and, like, be able to contribute back to more artists and everything over time, so... Every dime we do make goes back into, you know, new releases. And obviously we we split profits down the middle with all of our artists and everything. But cool. we 
personally, yeah, I've never taken a dime from from the record label. And I just every now and again, we might put a little bit more in, but it's been pretty self-sustaining for a couple of years now. And um, it is just about growing. Like we recently got to bring on some um, people to work with. Uh, we have like a marketing person and an art person now. And that's, that's amazing. The, like if we're going to pay out of pocket to people within the label, then I'd rather be supporting, you know, jobs and, and giving people like more avenues for their creativity that are into the, the music business side of things versus, you know, taking money back to cover my own expenses. I'm sure eventually at some point I'll, I'll at least reimburse myself for everything I've put in, but sure. yeah, <laughs> that'll be many years down the line. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I, that is actually <clears throat> a huge dream of mine is, is not just the sustainability of artists. That's important, but I really have a heart too for like the industry people who are looking for work and who, um, you know, it's sad to see them in jobs that where they're not fully using their, you know, their, if they're great writers or if they're great artists mm-hmm. or filmmakers. Um, so I just love when a label, I mean, even as a, a DIY artist or as a label, when I'm hiring a photographer or a mastering engineer or a talented writer to work on something, I just feel that feels really good. Yeah, 100%. That's been extremely important to me since day one. I mean, even with our first few record releases, we made sure that we worked with local artists to work on the cover art. And we always feature the artists that do the designs and stuff on our website and link out to their sites. And it's, it is a key thing. Like we've, we've set up at um, a comic book convention here in town um, for a few years. And it's like, it's a weird place because a lot of people walking by are like, why is a small record label here? And yeah. what the hell? Why, why are people still pressing vinyl? Uh-huh. But we do it because it is about promoting the artwork as well. And we would have some of our friends, um, like one year we made posters uh, by a local artist and, you know, screen printed them and sold them there and featured them and whatnot. And just keeping a focus on, you know, music as an art versus music as just a, uh, well, music. Yeah. It is, it is a whole creative medium and there is a whole lot more to it. And so supporting that in every way possible is important to me. You just tapped on something that I have been passionate about. I haven't really figured out a solution to yet, but all of us record labels and independent musicians are trying to sell records in the same places, you know, record stores or at a music venue or more likely on Twitter and Instagram and people are, Mm -hmm. and Spotify and people are inundated with millions if not billions of options whereas at a comic book <laughs> festival or, or whatever all of a sudden now you're the potentially the only record label you know and yeah. i i've always thought you know if you are if your music would fit well in a little country gift shop or at a truck stop or it's something where there aren't other music then that's that's i feel like people need to go off after that more i think that's a great idea Absolutely. I mean, uh, here in Charlotte, so one of our friends um, runs a barcade. Uh, it's temporarily cl- closed right now, but sure. he's just relocating. But um, for the first few years, he would uh, do like a yearly uh, concert just to promote the barcade and, and kind of have like a, a cookout and whatnot. And um, he would always invite you know local merchants to come out and there'd be artists selling their stuff and small bakeries and all that. And he always had us setting up a, a booth to sell records. And I mean, in that scenario, like, yeah, there is music, but it isn't about the music. It's about coming out to support a barcade that everybody loves. It's mm. a great community spot. And honestly, that's like 
more than any concert we've thrown or any other event we've ever been to, like those events, when we would sit down there, we would connect with more people and, and sell more records and sell more t-shirts, especially t-shirts, honestly. Um, (laughs) And just like get more ingrained with people in the community and like connect with people and then end up, you know, they would add us on social media and be like, Hey, I was the person who was chatting with you the other day. (laughs) It is like going into those areas that aren't typical for music has definitely been like way more rewarding in my opinion. Yeah, I mean it's it's surprising for everyone. It's surprising for the customers and the patrons to walk by and go, "Oh, this is something different. It isn't just a, you know, like a, a normal booth that you would see at a festival or something." And Absolutely, so, yeah. I mean, I think that's genius and I think that labels need to be thinking about they know their audience, they know what, you know, types of products and 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 interests that their audience has or or at least they should know and to think about where else are those people i mean obviously we know where they are when it comes to reddit or uh you know insert on a youtube channel but where in the community are they is it an indoor skate park you know is it a coffee shop um yeah man that's that's very interesting good for you oh thanks what is your strategy behind the label? Do you have a, a unique way of, of approaching how you run things? I mean, it's I know a lot of us think about our businesses in the middle of the night when we're falling asleep, and <laughs> a lot of us are, are like we we see the uniqueness, but we we try to communicate that to other people. But do you have a a, a way of approaching your label? It's hard to say unique, just because sure. there are so many sure, sure. labels doing the same things um uh i mean as i mentioned already like we it was it started as a passion project so it was just kind of supporting bands in our area and like that we're friends with and whatnot that weren't quite getting the attention they needed and it quickly grew from that i mean we just celebrated our sixth year and i think we have like 40 something releases at this point and it's so it's gotten a lot bigger over that time but it it the approach that we take to each release and each artist we work with is still kind of that same approach of are looking for the artists that aren't just um, buzzing off, but the artists that we see as producing music that is just way above the level that, you know, mm. they're getting the attention for. And, and we try to kind of fit into their mold and see what, what, um, what we can do to help like bridge any gaps that they have in, in their plans and whatnot. So each release is definitely a, like, we don't have a, a standard, here's what we do for a record or release or anything like that. It's just a, you know, if we got to play the role of a manager or, or help, help out with booking or, or help out with PR or whatever we need to do, like, we'll, we'll kind of jump in and fill those shoes um, as needed to, to build out a plan for them. And because of that, like, it, it is hard to say. Like, I, I think it's unique in the sense that I know working with a lot of labels, you tend to get like an agreement that is just like, here's your, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be X, Y, Z. We don't do that. We always approach every band that we work with as a conversation of what do you need mm. and how could we get you there and stuff like that. Um, That's very I think at our size, that, that is kind of unique because yeah, it's, I think we take on a little bit more risk than some labels in our size because it isn't, you know, this isn't my day job. This is something that, I guess I don't have to survive off of it. <laughs> so sure. it allows us to take on a little bit more risk with the releases we're doing and, and like put a little bit more out there for the artists that we work with and in hopes of um, helping them take the next steps. I think I've been guilty of um, kind of coming up with a template for 
how I release a record. You know, the uh, uh, literally a, a checkboxes of things that I make sure that I'm doing on every release, and that's yeah. helpful. But it's also could be a little problematic whenever I like what you said. You know, just sitting down with the artist and asking, "What do you need?" I think that's um, that's a big thing. Instead of saying, "Here's how we do things at our label," when some of those mm-hmm. may be completely irrelevant. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's also brought us to not working with artists that, you know, I personally don't feel we could do enough for. Like, it might be a music and an album that I'm really loving and connecting to, but when I really sit down and look at what they need, it's not something that we can provide. And, Mm. you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. It's nothing against them and it's nothing against us. It's just we're not at that level or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's part of it, too. Whenever someone submits a demo, obviously, you've got to love the music. That's that's huge. But I have to kind of see a role for myself in in, in there. Yeah. When I look at their online presence, I go, I know where I could make a difference here without stepping on their toes or without hurting them or exploiting them. And when I don't see that, whether it's because it's too much work or it's uh, you know just completely out of my wheelhouse and they need someone better than me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So you started out booking shows and tours, is that right? Yeah. As a young um, pup? So, yeah. I, um, I am thankful to have two older brothers. Um, my oldest brother is uh, eight years older than me, mm. and he started bringing me out to concerts when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, going to like <laughs> old ska and hardcore shows and, wow. and stuff like really in the Christian music community of like solid state records and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love solid because state. growing up in the South grew up in a very religious household. And so that was definitely my upbringing initially, but, but from there, although I mean, those records never grew out. Those records never really looked very religious. They would still scare, oh, no. <laughs> scare your parents. <laughs> I was actually talking about that with a friend the other day where I'm like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people were just affixing the Christian label at the time because it was a built in, audience like oh, if you yeah. got signed to solid state you had the solid state audience whether you wrote christian lyrics or not like oh yeah. for sure <laughs> have you listened have you listened to the tooth and nail pro- podcast the early episodes no, oh, no they, they talk they talk a lot about that about how you know these bands like pedro the lion for example and these bands mm-hmm. who were who would be like you know we could we could play to two thousand people in a church basement um, all you had to do is follow these certain rules and it's yeah. like, this is the best, you know, it's the best gigs they've ever had. Anyway, yeah. sorry, sorry. Okay. So your brother's taking you oh, out no to these, these shows. Yeah. So from there it grew. And I, I mean, I very quickly latched onto music and just realized like, this is where I want to be. And so by the time I was like 13, I was in a really crappy like metalcore band and I was just the front man for that. And like, it came time to book some shows and I was like, well, I can try this. Like, I don't know why, like I've always just been on the organizing side of things. And so my brain just went to, let me try this. So I reached out to a local venue, um, Tremont Music Hall, which just shut down a few years ago. And their owner, Penny at the time was just like, yeah, you could do it, but you know, please bring somebody adult. <laughs> yeah. She understood my age. <laughs> so I ended up like, my mom ended up working the door. We booked like our, oh my, uh, gosh. My, my friend's older sister's like fiance's band that was touring through. And then out of nowhere, like literally 
a few weeks beforehand, we got an email or I got an email from Relapse Records being like, hey, we have a band touring through. Can you add them to your show? And it was Nile. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, they ended up backing out, but oh. it was still one of those things where I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah. And it just kind of like grew from there. Like you um, caught the bug. So I started booking shows when I was did that. Yeah. Did that first started show booking shows when I was like thirteen and just w- kept going. With that first show with your mom, did that turn out well? Was there a good turnout? Was the venue happy? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Actually, after the show, I mean, it was a smaller tour, um, but it was enough. We definitely got enough heads in there to pay the bills and and pay That's the bands great. and everything. And I remember uh, my mom telling me after the fact that she the owner pulled her aside and said, if he ever wants to book again, please just let us know. Like we're, we're happy to work together. Aww. And so I ended up booking <laughs> at Tremont music hall a few more times over, I mean more than a few, but That's a bunch of times amazing. over the years. And then as a 13 year old up and down, Oh my yeah. gosh, what was I doing at 13? Nothing. Oh man. Good for you. <laughs> so yeah, that was, I mean, 24 years ago at this point, And it's just over the years, it's just kind of gone you know, I've, I've tried my hand in everything on the music business side of things because I just, I've just been better at that. I, I very quickly realized I'm not a musician. Yeah. Um, that was my one band and I was done with it after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I know. But I loved, loved working with bands and I loved working with musicians. What does that, I mean, going back to the touring and the booking and stuff, what does that teach you about running a label? Because running a label is so often these days sitting behind a computer sending emails, but being on the road and at shows must have provided you with a, a unique perspective. I mean, at the end of the day, it is still kind of the same thing. It is just, it's connecting people, making sure that plans line up, making sure that things are promoted and marketed mm. and all that. It is, yeah. there is a lot of overlap. That's um, fair. And then, I mean, actually going out and traveling and, you know, driving for five hours to catch a band nearby and all that stuff's just like, that's all just part of the the networking side of things, which I think even as a record label, you you do that all the time now too. I mean, we go out to festivals just so we can meet people versus seeing the bands. Like we've yeah. probably seen the bands a hundred times, so yeah, and yeah. we're excited to see them again. But it's like we could see them in better, you know, closer places. It's more about connecting with people and and, and you know having those face to face experiences and getting together. I think, and I mean, this is a, a pre and post pandemic conversation, but I think that there's um, the theme of, of what we've been talking about or what I certainly feel convicted of is is like coming out from behind my desk, coming out from behind social media and connecting with the yeah. artists, connecting with the fans or even connecting with the community who are not yet fans, how important that is and how easy it is to not do that. Yeah, very much so. That's actually, that's that's something that I struggled with for years because I'm, I'm very socially reclusive, like just very anxious type person in general. And so for the first few years of running the label, I didn't want to have my name attached to it. I wanted it to shine through with the bands we work with. But it it was getting to the point like we would book a yearly birthday party and have our bands come out. And a few of the times the bands are like, hey, you should go out and like greet the crowd and say thanks or something like that. And I was like, I that's not me. I can't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> and yeah. I, I think it... Um, probably like before the pandemic happened, I started having that realization of this is not sustainable. Like it, it is, there needs to be more community interaction, like as like a, you know, not just as a business, but as people and, and whatnot. And I look to other record labels that I think are doing that well. And um, 
I am very excited about how they interact with the people that listen to their music and everything. So just mm, that's true. We've taken a big change on that front and have been focusing more on just being outward and being more. Yeah, I'm getting accessible that to everyone. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, and I think that is really helpful and somewhat essential. I I do see because you know you were talking about you know starting off behind the scenes and and how how that's where you really thrive. And, and I do see a role um, where that's, you know, I, I often think of like when you're watching like a late night show and they're, they're thanking their producers and the camera goes backstage and the, there's this shy guy who does not want to be appear on cam- camera, you know, and that's the guy <laughs> yeah. who's like creating the whole show. And, um, and yeah, yeah, so there are, there are times where it's like, I just want to be in the background. That's where I really thrive. Yeah. And that is uh, one of the reasons why I'm excited to be able to bring on like more employees and stuff, sure. and more people who are better at that side. Because yeah. <laughs> it is one of those things. Like I, I don't mind it. I love connecting with people, and I've always been the guy who, you know, if bands are playing shows. I will sit behind their merch booth and sell their music or whatever because yeah. I love talking to people. But it's, it's just certain. I don't know. Just having eyes on you and just looking at you is <laughs> like the face of the business or anything like that. That's the side where I've never enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, just don't think about the millions of listeners right now who are listening to your to this podcast. <laughs> um, so, so give us the backstory on Refresh and how that came to be out of uh, out of puberty, running shows, <laughs> coming <Yeah>. into, <laughs> coming into puberty at a club. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when I was that age, I did start booking those shows, um, started doing like a little CD uh, distro where I'd set up a table at some shows and everything and got connected with record labels and buying some things wholesale and got into, you know, street teams and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Started getting like early releases and just connecting with more and more people and was very excited. Like that was so much fun and I miss street teams so much. Okay, pause for a second. Um, let's let's yeah. take a pause. <laughs> street teams, uh, yes, unbelievable. A great way to get free crap and not have to do any work for it. But um, <laughs> do you think I haven't heard of I haven't heard that term street teams in, in 15 years? Do you think that there is any hope for future street teams? Or is it irrelevant if because you just need your fans to retweet and repost? But is there any value in um Street teams. I do. I, I think so. I just think it's it's different. Um, well, I guess it's really not that different. I mean, the street team was about promoting shows and tours and stuff like that, which I do think is less important now. But it was also about promoting like the record in local stores and getting posters up on on you know uh, polls promoting yeah, yeah. A, a record coming out. And I think that side still exists to some degree in some labels, like. Actually, I think if you go to a Spartan Records website right now, they they have like become a Spartan, and it is oh a okay team. oh okay cool. And yeah, I think I, right. I remember there was one other one like Fearless or somebody like that who still has like some version of a street team, but it is focused more on promoting like physical releases sure. in physical retail yeah. locations. Okay, man, that'd be great to bring. We them actually, back. yeah, we we tried to start one years ago, um, but. I mean, at the time, label was too small, and I realized very quickly, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, yeah, yeah. It is just like, promote us online. Uh, okay, that's kind of <laughs> <your> ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know what? There might be some sort of like, 
in exchange for getting the album like a month early or maybe getting one free record a quarter that they could at least post it on your behalf in a subreddit, you know, where there maybe have some cred or, you know, there, there could be some ways of doing it. For sure. Sorry, I interrupted you. You just triggered me there with street teams. It had been a while. Um, So street teams go back, continue with the the story of the label. So yeah. So being on the street teams, doing those things, it just kind of kept growing and doing other stuff. Um, After high school, I ended up moving up to Pennsylvania, which is actually where I was born. Um, my father took a job up there, so I went with him, and and that opened me up to a whole other scene. Like I ended up moving in um, right before I left. I booked like a small festival here in Charlotte that was like a lot of heavier indie rock, some metalcore, some hardcore um, called Bombs and Bruises. That was like twenty bands or so, and one of the headlining bands was a band called N Albatross, which was Northeast Pennsylvania band, and I ended up like connecting with their touring guy and like moving in with him in Pennsylvania. And so the music stuff just kind of kept going up there um, and started doing shows and local venues up there and what have you. Um, But eventually I put out a few seven inches, um, one for a Connecticut hardcore band called they and the children. um, And then one for a local like screamo ish band called uh, uh, hands are like hands are dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And from that, like, I I loved doing it, and I realized very quickly that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and I ran that whole thing into the ground, did it all poorly, forgot to send orders to some people, mixed up orders, lost records, everything you could do wrong yeah. as, like, a, you know, 20-year-old, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I stopped. And um, eventually, like, I think by my my early 20s, I was honestly feeling a little jaded and burnt out because I felt like I'd already, I was like running so hard with music stuff. Um, but at a young age where, you know, you're extra passionate and extra emotional, I think I just needed to reset. And so I kind of just stopped doing everything. I, I pulled away and was just like, I'm just going to focus on life and sure. just be a fan. Um, eventually I moved back to North Carolina and it, like the idea of doing another label was always in the back of my head because I did really love it. Uh, it just... I needed stability first. So after a few years of like, you know, working full time and saving some money and figuring out how to adult properly, um, (laughs) the idea of refresh came up and, you know, I guess that was eight years ago because we like, I registered the business probably about two years before we launched it and was just kind of building up and like connecting with bands and and trying to figure out like, how do we want to do this? (laughs) And so we ended up launching it with like some, benefits and stuff and it was it's just gone since then and why not why not reboot the old one or is that the idea behind refresh that was one of the reasons um it, it's named what it is mm-hmm. that it is the second time around yeah. um other reason being like uh i'm a software engineer oh. doing a lot of web apps and so oh just there's the tie-in with both my day jobs and <laughs> the fact that it's second time around that's great you say that you yeah. you don't have a genre, but do you have any sort of guiding light when it comes to to finding bands to work with? Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, it really is. Like, do I like this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do I think other people will? But no. Uh, yeah, early on, like I, I listen to a lot of different things, and I look up to the labels that 
that release a lot of different things. Like I know you've had Joyful Noise on here, and I know mm. I've emailed you suggesting them at yeah. some point yeah, too. That's right. But they are one of my favorite labels where I look at their whole catalog of what they've done and it's it's all over the place. And I I really appreciate that. Um that was kind of the direction we started with. Um, but over a couple of years and I like as I started thinking about the community side of things, it, I started realizing like you have to get to that point. You can't start at that point. Um you kind of need to narrow your focus a little bit, in my opinion, because it's hard to build a community around your music if nobody knows what to expect next. Um, so we have kind of narrowed our sound a little bit more into the, you know, indie rock, emo, sure. punk type realm where it's it's all like interconnected. If you listen to each band, like they're all very different, obviously, but they, they all run in the same crowds. They all tour together. And it's it's not abnormal to hear them all play together, even though their sounds aren't quite as connected sure. as maybe early on. I guess there's just some sort of identity that a label has that you can just identify in the music when you listen to it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just, what have I been listening for the listening to for the you know past 20 years and yeah. um, being excited, especially right now, hearing a lot of the sounds that I grew up on becoming more and more popular again. That's which, true. Yeah. You know, I'm geeking out about. And so <laughs> that's kind of the direction the label's heading to is just, Oh, let's let's focus on the stuff that I would be releasing twenty years ago if I was doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I remember months ago we were talking about your label. I don't know if this was online or if this was through email, but um, that your label experienced a bit of a breakthrough with a specific artist, especially on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the very first album we put out, which was actually the fourth release we did. Um, was Young Mister, self-titled right. album, which was um, songwriter uh, Stephen Fiore, who's North Carolina-based, um, North and South Carolina-based songwriter, who spent some years writing with um, Universal, like publishing group mm -hmm. out in LA and then moved back home and, and started making his own music again. And we connected. It was just one of those weird small world things where one of the artists I was working with on a seven inch, I think the very first seven inch we put out was like, hey, you should hear my friend's music. Like, it's it's fantastic. And I, I meet him, and it ends up he's engaged to one of my old high school friends. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and we connected and chatted more and more. And um, yeah, I just heard his music, and I knew, like, this guy has a sound. Like, he knows what he's how to write music that is catchy and, and can be played over and over and just gets in your head. Like it's one of those things where you put it on once and you you wake up in the middle of the night and it's just <laughs> playing in, in your head. Sure. And so we got chatting more and more and ended up putting out that record with him. And, and honestly, that was our first real approach to doing a full album. And I, I never really like expected to jump into the deep end, but it was such a good record that we were just like, we just got to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and kind of like, almost do like a face first dive into the water of, Hey, we might lose a lot of money trying to figure this thing out, but at least it's going to get us like trying, like understanding PR and radio and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And so we did that. And for six, nine months or so, like it did kind of flounder. It, it, we had a great release of the first single through like consequence of sound and got a lot of listens on that, but then it just kind of toppled off. And then, out of nowhere, just 
one random Spotify playlist picked it up, and it was enough to get kind of the algorithms churning and uh, yeah. growing over time. And I mean, it's one of those artists where we we can still look at it over the last few years, and just week after week, he's just picking up more listeners because more people that hear him are just you know more people that are excited. So we've worked together since then, um, put out a few things together. Uh, has he done South by Southwest together and stuff like that? <laughs> has he done another record since then? Yeah. Um, so we he did a EP with um with a I think like a Capitol Records subsidiary of okay. some sort. Um, it was just kind of a one off thing, and then we put out his last uh, full band album, which is called Sudden Swoon. Okay. And since then, at the start of the pandemic, he started writing a lot more, just being stuck at home with the studio. And so we've done a couple singles since then, and he just put out um, a new album last year uh, called, um, uh, it's like, Here's Where We Are, I think. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm okay. going blank right now. But Oh, this is where we are now. It was just one of, yeah, this is where we are yeah. now, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, self-released that one on its own just to, you know, have a pandemic album that is sure. just kind of focused on. Oh, that's cool. The core songwriting, I guess. So, I mean, it, you know, whenever an, a label has a big album like that 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 does so well, and I mean, I, I can see the the record you're referring to. There's very few songs on this album that have under a million streams. Some of them, uh, yeah. four four million, <laughs> and and so. Um, when something like that happens, it's 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 amazing. But as a, a cynic, I I kind of start to look at the problems with that, and I think you were like I would expect every record moving forward to be as successful. So I'm immediately setting myself yeah. up for disappointment. Um, yeah. So I mean, and then also like there's so much of that that you can't control. I mean, there's just this. It got picked up by an algorithm, but his next record may not or your next artist may not um and so it's hard yeah. to know what do we pat ourselves on the back with you know and uh what was that like after that no uh that is very fully that's a real problem um <laughs> and that was actually something we talked about a lot going into sudden swoon where it was one of those things where we're like all right we can put out this record there's no guarantee that it's going to take off like we had seen the ep had just done with the other label and and um knew that it didn't have the same like catch that the album did so it was obviously not like a well you now have these listeners it's everything moving forward is going to be the same so we did go into sudden swoon under the idea of you know what happens if this is a complete flop like yeah if this thing doesn't get a single play what's going to happen. And so off of the first record, we kind of just did the math and budgeted, you know, into the second record of even if we didn't make a dime, we knew we'd be safe in the long run because the first record's doing so well. And so we, we kind of just took a, Oh, we'll just see what happens approach. <laughs> like, yeah. I know Steven was very jaded against PR because even with all the plays and everything he's got, um, you know, 20 million plays at this point, he has yet to get any write-ups from any of the notable outlets sure. like Pitchforks or Stereo Gums or anything like yeah, that. And I so get that. Yeah. When we went into the next record, he was just like, "I don't want to waste money on that. I don't want to put you know time and effort into." Oh, good this for thing. him. That's not. <laughs> yeah. So we so we didn't. We just did surprise releases of singles and like 
started up a, a fan club that people could like hear early demos and vote on what goes into the record and like made it more of a community driven approach and just really tackled it completely differently. And it, it was really an experiment. It was just kind of fun of just like, you know, this could go <laughs> backfire in our face of sure. We're still going to be okay if it does. Um, and it has done well. I mean, we're, we're very happy with it. It's a fantastic album. We released it like the, the fan club version of the LP comes with um, a bonus record that has like 10 extra songs that were not actually included in the album, but they were in the demos that people got to hear and vote on. And that okay. was only available to the people in the club. And it was just, it was fun to like approach it completely differently. And I yeah, mean, looking at those successes and then looking at other artists, it's like, you can't really expect any of those things. Um, we're not at that level where it's like just our name on, on something. Yeah. You know, means it's going to get picked up. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, now you must have artists who, who new artists to the label who are saying, we want what you did with young Mr. Please. We'll take that one. <laughs> like, that's what I would think, right? <laughs> yeah, a few. Um, and I think one of the reasons we don't get it more is because Steven's music is so far outside the realm of what we normally release. Sure. In, release because he's more singer-songwriter and the like folkier side of things, whereas we're normally in the indie rock, you know, punk realm and whatnot. And so we don't get it as much as you would you would think. But even working with other artists, like Downhall is a good example where. We get a lot of artists who come to us and say, "Hey, we love what what you did with the Downhall record. Like, we think you'd be this would be a great fit for you guys." And I, I think some of those people do come in expecting like the same sort of coverage and and yeah. what have you. And it's yeah, it's important just to express like there's no guarantee. Like, <laughs> well, we could put ten thousand dollars into a PR budget. There's no guarantee. It doesn't matter. And like, the way that you, most it is all about the band, <laughs> and and also luck too, because the way that some of those curators and writers what they're into this month is not what they're going to be into next month, and we just can't control that. So to Very say true, yeah. you wrote about this record three months ago, it's only natural you write about this record. That's I mean, none of us are like that. We all kind of evolve yeah. with our tastes, for sure. I definitely yeah. yeah go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say the the one thing I always stress to every artist we work with is that um, the plan we put together is only as good as what the artist is doing themselves. Like a record label is nothing without the music we work on. If if the band isn't going to push themselves hard, then nobody else is going to pick it up. It, like doesn't matter where you budget things. It doesn't matter any of that stuff if the artist isn't in it yeah. um, and it isn't active and excited and and portraying that to everybody around them. So we do just try to build off of their energy and their plans and, and make it all about them and not about, you know, PR or, or radio or, or whatever we're doing. I'm starting to get a sense, and tell me if you agree with this, but <clears throat> with respect to Spotify playlists and also respect to the um, the big journalists or, or, or the big publications you were just referring to, it, it seems to me that certain genres or certain types of artists do better in different platforms. For example, on Spotify, I've seemed to notice, and I could just be my own bias or, or what I'm looking at, that singer-songwriters, this modern-day adult contemporary sound, if you will, uh, folk music, mm -hmm. the Bonnie Vare crowd, 
it, 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 there's so much home, there's so much uh, opportunities for it on Spotify. There's there's traveling playlists and sleeping playlists and yoga playlists and study playlists. I, I just feel like for a guy like Young Mister, it, it really does make sense. But then when you hop over to um, Stereo Gum or some of the more uh, Pitchfork or some of the more evasive um, platforms, they're looking for something weirder and more intriguing mm-hmm. that wouldn't find a home on on Spotify. Do you agree with that? Have you noticed that? Yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, they're looking for what's happening next, I think. Sure. And they're they're looking at the artists that are kind of taking things a little bit differently versus the artists that did something and did it well. Um, unless it is a big artist. I mean, if you come out with a new Radiohead record, obviously everybody's going to talk about it. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's good or not yeah. or anything like that. But but when it is like smaller artists that are, are making a living off of making good, but not necessarily like monumental changes to sounds or whatever. Yeah, I think it it can be harder to um, connect with writers then. Do you find on uh, just one more a question about Young Mister um, on Spotify? Do you find that it's they, there is a bit of that snowball effect where anything you release now gets fed to his followers, his his you know predetermined followers, and that the algorithm is more likely to pick them up. Do you have you noticed that when an artist has success, the the second success comes a little bit easier? Uh, I actually, I think it's kind of the opposite. Weirdly, really, enough. Um, yeah, like. Spotify is very much about, um, how do I word this? Uh, (laughs) It is kind of an echo chamber, I think, in how it promotes music. It isn't about the artist itself. It is about the individual tracks. And that's why you'll go and you'll see an artist that, you know, put out a song that got 200,000 plays and then everything else that they put out has two or 3,000 plays. And it, it is because that one got, got into the echo and it it, sure. it kept getting promoted, which got it into more playlists and yeah. stuff. And we we did notice that with Young Mister again, like looking at it over literally over the course of the last five years of just seeing every week. It's you know, it's kind of slowly growing up to Friday, and then it t- tapers off <laughs> on on Saturday or Sunday, and then Monday it jumps back up with the new music play or yeah. not the new music, Discovery. but the release radar. Yeah, and you kind of see like that that step effect of like. Every week, it's just a little bit more, but it's it's always the same songs. It, it, yes. If you put something else into the algorithm, you'll That's get the true. people who do the direct follow, and they get the notifications, and they get it in release radar. But the new songs aren't immediately just included into that whole cyclical system. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Which speaks into the whole concept that, like, I think something like eighty percent of what people listen to on Spotify is back catalog. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that's and it, I mean, they make it easy too. Like they, at least for me, every time I go on Spotify, the third row of music is, Hey, jump back in to this thing that you <laughs> listen to a lot. We yeah. know you love it. Yeah. Play it again. Yeah. Um, Crazy. I think he, it really takes the, a certain type of listener to look at like the release radar catalog and say, oh, I'm going to take a chance on new music this week. Oh, true. Um, I don't think the average person does that. Yeah. I, I think most people go into what they know and, and what their friends like and That's stuff like true. that. So it is, it is about, you know, making sure that these people become fans 
of the actual artist mm-hmm. and are mm-hmm. interested in in getting the, the the alert when they drop a new single or or whatever. I've always said though, and I, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> I've always said there's something great about these passive listeners that are funding your other initiatives. You know, that are funding. Uh, your label and our label to to take chances on things that will probably never rack up millions of plays. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Steve and every chance I get of, you know, I don't, I don't know if the label would still exist if it wasn't for how well his music, music has done. And wow. it's allowed us to take chances that we probably wouldn't have been able to take. Um, and I know he's excited about it. Like he's, played shows with some of our bands and is now like collaborating with some of the artists and stuff. Mm. And like it's, it's been a fun little family that we've grown, yeah. um, but it is very much, he's a big part of it. Um, so listeners, yeah. <laughs> the, the takeaway here is the first artist you sign has to rack up millions of millions of streams and, and be your best selling record. That's it's easy, right? That's the yeah. recipe. <laughs> <laughs> just your first release absolutely <laughs> otherwise it's a very slow journey <laughs> <laughs> um you guys have you guys have really great visuals awesome design you do a lot with merch and social media it seems like you're a label that understands how important visuals are especially in an industry where so much is discovered in a browser or on your phone um is that is that part of the the vision <clears throat> yeah no, uh, that goes back to, I think it started with website stuff because again, that's mm-hmm. kind of my background. So I wanted to make sure that we always had a, like a professional and clean approach and, you know, half the record labels out there are using the same platforms for their sites. So yeah, wanted to make sure that if you go to our site, it didn't look exactly like everybody else's, even though we we're, we we're backed by the same platforms. Um, so that, that was important. Um, working with local artists, making sure that, you know, everything we, we design is, is from an artist that we love. Um, I think of all of our merch, like I've done one design. Hmm. <laughs> Everything else has been just that's great local artists that we love. And there's this, you know, now that was one of the things. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, there's this element of your label that comes across to me through your visuals. It's like everything just looks fun. It's the illustrations, the posters, the label ads, the mystery bundles. Things just look fun. Like it's. From from your web perspective, like um, your bounce rate's probably low, just because people want to stick around and look at some of these cool visuals. Yeah, yeah. I think early on, like um, I felt like things were a little too sterile uh, mm-hmm. on our site, and mm-hmm. so when we went to approach like a redesign, I was looking at other labels I love and, and kind of realizing, like, all right. I need to I need to make this more interesting and more interactive and and stuff. We've always had that approach with like visual designs like t-shirts and merch and stuff like that. Like whenever we book shows, we've always had that approach, but it was online some of our ads and stuff could have been a little too stiff and too professional looking before. And so when we brought on um uh an art director a few months ago, that was kind of a big focus for me is my art style is always that kind of sterile style and sure. I still do some, I, I do a lot of layouts with a lot of our artists to help them transition their, their music into like full album packaging and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make sure that we picked up an art artist who is complete polar opposite of what I do so that we could kind of work off of each other of, you know, coming up with ideas that are more interesting and more, more inviting and 
Kayla's been fantastic at that, and I, I love working with her. Well, that's a very mature uh, evolved of you because I I would do the opposite. I would I would hire someone who it would just agree with everything I want. But that's <laughs> I I think that's really smart. I am very much about like bringing on anytime I work with anybody in any scenario. It's always a, a place where I'm like. I want them to know more than me. <laughs> yeah. And simple. Yeah. Like, if I could do it myself, then there's, you know, there's no point in bringing on somebody unless it's just a time thing. But I want them to come in and have a different approach and challenge the ideas and, and what have you. Um, as going through your site today, I want to give a pro tip for our listeners at home here. Um, if you go to Refresh Records on Twitter, which is refresh at Refresh Rex, you have uh, pinned a tweet to the top of your profile, which contains all of your primary links like Bandcamp, YouTube, Instagram, Discord, email addresses. I think this is genius, and it'll rarely go out of date. And that Twitter bio section, I don't know if this is you or somebody else on your team, but this the Twitter bio section doesn't give you much space to work with. So very cool. I think no. people should go check that out. That's genius to me. I love that. Yeah, that's so, that was actually an idea I stole from another label that I love. <laughs> done some releases with. <laughs> that, well, that's what this um, whole show is about. Just Chill steal. Wave Records. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Chill Wave Records did that, and we had done like a uh, Cliff Diver record together last year, and like okay. we're friends with them and chat a lot about music. And I saw them post it. I was like, "That's brilliant! That's such a simple idea!" Like, so simple. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. That's so simple. Um, can you explain, um, private stash? I saw this recently and again in my research, can you explain that to us? What is that? Yeah. Um, and uh, just to make sure I'm not sure. breaking up, right? No. Okay, cool. You, no. you started to a little bit. Oh, so I I'm make sorry. Sure it no, it, it, it sounds good <laughs> over here. Do you want okay, me to cool. ask the question again? Um, uh, sure. Yeah, might as well. Okay, so I'm asking you about private stash. It's something that you're doing with test pressings. I'm very curious about if you could explain that to us. Yeah. So the private stash, um, and I regret naming it that because I realized after we started making the marketing for it that I directly stole that name from another label too. And oh, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was something dirty. Okay, interesting. Okay. Oh no, no. <laughs> Okay, but I I, ha I mean I see a lot of labels doing this in general, um, but the actual name Private Stash I didn't mean to copy it. It was okay. obviously just in my head. Um, <laughs> but whenever we're doing records, um, you know, especially a, a variant that's going to sell out quick, I always make sure that we hold a couple extra ones because you never know what happens with sure. shipping or or if something gets damaged or or lost or whatever. I want to make sure that we can still cover those people. Um, same goes with like T-shirts since. Um, when we do, we do a lot of business-to-business um, -business agreement with the local print shop where we provide them the shirts and they print them. So there can be a certain amount of, you know, errors in printing. So we always make sure that we print at least one extra of the popular sizes. So even if it's a limited shirt that we're only selling, you know, 30 of or whatever, we might do 35 just to be safe. Sure. Um, so over the years, I mean, I've always had this idea of, oh, we're, we'll just keep those and we'll give them away or do something. And we've done that a lot. We've done a lot of giveaways and we've, we've every now and again, we'll sell some test pressings for some reason, mm -hmm. um, whether it's raising money for a benefit or, or what have you. But 
when it came up to this last year, we were celebrating our sixth birthday and every week we were doing different deals and like um, having a different focus for each week of like this week, you know, records are 30 to 50% off and next week it's t-shirts and stuff like that. For the last two days, I was like, I I decided that we're going to just open up a private stash of some of these releases we've been sitting on for years and we might only have like two copies left of a certain variant or we might have some test pressings that, you know, after we gave them out to bands, we had a few left over. And so we ended up just putting them all on the website at what I believe is reasonable pricing um, and just offered them up for, well, not for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, offered yeah. them up to anybody who yeah, yeah. That's was cool. interested in that stuff. And uh, just called it the private stash because that's literally what it was. It's the stuff that we stored away to, um, you know, for a rainy day for whether that's giveaways or promoting or, or what have you. Well, that's pretty cool that like something that obviously creates scarcity, but it's something cool because uh, I've seen it before with, with records that I've been a fan of and I didn't become a fan of the album until long after the vinyl was sold out or the cassette was sold out. And I've seen that happen before yeah. and I'm like scrambling to grab my wallet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've hit that. And I, I know also I've had a scenario where I ordered one of those records that sold out quickly and then mine got lost in shipment. And when I hit up the label, they were like, well, sorry, we don't have any. And oh I'm my thinking, gosh. well, why didn't you hold any? <laughs> wow, yeah. So I wanted to make sure that we prevented that scenario. For sure. Uh, which yeah. has already happened. I, I literally, wow. we had a downhaul record that just showed back up to us. I mean, I shipped those a month and a half ago and this past week it just showed up at my door. And it was one that we had no more copies of. So when it, we got it back, I, I hit up the customer and was like, hey, your record actually just showed up. Well, let me ship it back to you. Oh, man. And so I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, that was just a mishap where I, I forgot to put aside the private stash on that one. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. What were you guys doing with um, test pressings? Have you been doing anything with your test pressings? Uh, as far as in regard to the private stash or in well, general? Just, just in general. Sorry, I mean, sure. a, a lot of labels just give them to the the bands or just throw them out or put them on file. But I'm I'm starting to see people be a little bit more creative from a retail standpoint with test pressings. Have you guys been doing that at all? Right, right, right. Yeah. So um, we obviously do like we'll get the test pressings and we'll you know keep one copy for the label and give copies to the band and stuff like that. Um, in the past, we used to actually just do ten copies, but we we got away from that because it's just it's a hassle. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We. Uh, Visually, we since you know all these pressings are coming from different plants, and um, we wanted to have more of a consistent vibe with them. So we ended up just uh, doing chipboard jackets for both the seven inches and twelve inches, and getting a rubber stamp that says "Refresh Records Test Pressing" in a circle, and like That's right. stamping it with um, oh, yeah, yeah, with like artist and title and catalog, and then hand number of you know one out of five or whatever. That's and genius. So, that way, every test press has a similar look, but it's also unique and interesting, and and you know, it's something more fun to look at than just this boring white jacket with a yeah, you know, a yeah, label yeah. from the plant. <laughs> that is really, I think that's really smart. Have, have customers been responding to that? Yeah, uh, we we started doing the design first with um, with hit like a girl. We did a live record uh, for them. And we, I think we only 
it was like a lathe cut record where we only did like 30 records that kind of got the the stamps for that initially which just say artist title catalog number yeah. and then i got a separate one that had the test pressing stuff so i could do them in different colors and make it more interesting but yeah people have been liking it i, I definitely um normally if you sell a, a test pressing it just goes into somebody's collection but I yeah getting tagged on on posts where nice. I think people are more excited because it's not as boring to look at. So what do you, at what stage in the, the album release process do you do that? Like when would you release those? And then how much would you charge for that compared to say the actual vinyl uh, when it's pressed? I usually, I mean, with test pressings, I try not to sell them until like a year later. Um, oh. Because we do find other uses for them. Like oh. we'll do giveaways. Um, earlier this year, literally all of our releases were delayed. So on every single vinyl release, we just had a giveaway where we drew one pre-order and they got a free test press. And so oh, okay. this is, um, and that's why it goes into the private stash of some of these records. We don't have enough test press to sell them. Um, right. But I usually start, like, if we sell them a year down the line, I'll start at, like, a 30 or $35 price. Okay. You know, which isn't, you know, 50% more than no, retail no, no. or whatever. Yeah. And then if it doesn't sell, then maybe another year down the line, if we sell it again, we'll just mark it down to 20 or 25 sure. or whatever. Yeah. And it just kind of goes on from there. I mean, you have to pay for them. I think they're pretty steep price yeah. anyway 10 or 20 dollars. yeah they're so. more pricey than yeah. the records themselves yeah so. yeah exactly that's why we stopped doing the 10 of them i was like i'll just get whatever we get yeah <laughs> yeah well i love hearing labels who are doing um something crazy with them i sold uh one of my test pressings i had it maybe seven months uh maybe six months before the album came out and i sold it for mm -hmm. i think i sold it for a hundred dollars which was a little bit that included free shipping which was a little bit like, uh, you know, um, I don't know what the word is, but I was I was a little ashamed of selling it for a hundred dollars. But my thinking was, <laughs> you know, this you're going to get it shipped to you six months before anyone else, before anyone even knows the song titles or album title or album cover. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was something exclusive to that, and so I sold one and we shipped it to Japan. It was cool, but um, I don't know if I do that again. But I I, I think there. Are, are some creative things you can do with test pressings. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look at like, um, what is it? Uh, Top Shelf Records is really interesting. Does like weird hand artwork, like painting right. them and doing stamps and just collage art. And I, I love that. Yeah. I wish I had the energy for that. <laughs> or not the energy, the, the creativity for that. Like Kevin is just, he is a wild creative person. That's a great um, label. But great then I also label. see like, uh, yeah, <laughs> counterintuitive records. I'm pretty sure they do like a screen printing or maybe like a spray painted stencil that is, um, it's still the white jacket, but the artwork that they spray paint on the test pressings is pretty much the artwork of the album, but like in a really stripped down DIY screen printed type of look. And mm. I, I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah, and I've seen cool. that a lot over the years of like people screen printing separate covers for test pressings. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Um, thanks so much for doing this. If, if you if you can, I want you to stick around for a second. I have something else I want to ask you for our patrons and a little trivia game if you're down. But thank you so much for for chatting. It's it's been a blast to talk with you. Hey, thank you for having me. That's yeah, it's been great. 
And thank you all for listening. If you want to hear the um, extended portion of this interview, as well as our little trivia game that we play with Josh, um, please go to otherrecordlabels.com slash Patreon. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you so much for being a listener.